Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for that truth. There's no other name like yours, Father. The name of Jesus. There is power, Lord, in that name. We thank you, God, that you were pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus, that we might be reconciled back to you. Father, no longer broken, but made whole through the name of Jesus. Oh God, may we not forget, Lord Jesus, what you've done for us. We thank you, Father, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I pray, God, that we would keep our eyes focused and fixed upon you, Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit whom you've given us, God. God in us, working through us to accomplish your purpose, your will. Oh, God, that we would be kingdom-minded people. Father, that we would be teachers of righteousness, that we would have a hunger and a greater thirst for righteousness, that we would be your trophies of grace, that we would go forth, Father, declaring the good news of Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you yet again for another Sunday to gather, to hear your word, to sit at your feet, to be encouraged, Father, some of us have had a very long week, a trying week. Father, I pray, God, that we would not grow weary in doing good. I thank you, Father, that we, Lord, can be refreshed and revived and renewed in Christ. So we come today, Father, humbling ourselves before you, saying, speak, Lord. We need a fresh word. Father, we need a fresh feeling, Lord. Father of encouragement. And so we thank you that our hope is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And we know that hope in him will never disappoint us. So have your way among us and in us and through us this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Community. A group of people living together in the same place, or having a particular characteristic in common. Community. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Community. We, as believers, are part of the Christian community. We are Engrafted into the family of God. Jesus is our reason for gathering. He is our interest. We desire Him above all. He's begun a work in us. He is faithful to complete it. He builds His church. He is the head. We are the body. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts among us to equip us 
to do his will in advancing his kingdom. That's the Christian community. If you're calling yourself a Christian, this is what you belong to and what you should desire to connect with. Because you're not going to find out there in the world and in other communities what you need to grow as a Christian. And we are living in dark days. Ever since the fall of man, it's been dark. (laughs) But it's getting darker. And we know that. And we know it must get darker. But the church must be growing brighter. I've been thinking and kind of meditating upon the goodness of God and how good he is. And I've been encouraging us that we can't learn our theology, our, 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 our understanding of God from the world, from Satan. No, we need to know God because God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. You see, God understands who we are. We're dust. And dust we are returning to. Here today, gone tomorrow. The very makeup of who we are, dust. But yet we're the only creation that God created that he breathed his life into. There's something within us. Something within us of value. And it's not in and of ourself, but it's what God has created. You see, God sent forth His Son Jesus to deliver us from this condition, this sinful condition, this rebellious condition towards Him and His kingdom. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's an awakening that takes place. In the very essence of the created man and woman, their soul is awakened. And in that moment, in that moment, when you recognize who he is, not because you learned, learned about him from the world or from the, the, the enemy, <laughs> but because God is pleased to reveal himself. Like when there's the revelation from God, and you can't deny it. You are born again when you receive the salvation that Jesus is offering. You see who you are and who he is, and you can't help but humble yourself because you're just dust, you're dirt. And yet the creator who formed you, who fashioned you, is calling you from that to give you a rebirth. That's why Jesus says you must be born again, but of the Spirit. You must be born again of the Spirit. And he begins it. Listen, God is pleased to reveal himself to us. The Holy Spirit awakens us, draws us to himself. The Bible says it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. 
is Jesus who comes and takes our punishment. You see, it's God who loves, not us. It is God who loves us. And yet, what have we been told about God? People got the wrong image of God. Yes, is he a God of justice? And yes, is he a God of wrath? Yes, but only to those who remain in rebellion towards him. There's nothing good within us, in and of ourselves, as creatures. We feast off the dust. We feast off the temporalness. We seek to find something within this world, this temporal world, to satisfy us. But nothing, nothing will ever satisfy that deep need to belong. Satisfaction, that wholeness, only comes through Jesus. Through Jesus. And he doesn't force us to submit. True submission is not forced. That's not submission. True submission comes from one who freely lays down their life. I submit because I'm loved. I submit because I love. Not because I'm forced. I obey not because I'm forced to obey. No, I obey because I know that he knows what's best for me. I don't want to live out of a dust mentality. I want to live out of a created mentality that I was meant for my creator. And so then when I really truly understand my identity by first knowing who he is, the more I want of him. And the more I want of him, the more I would want of community of people who desire the same thing. And we're living in an age now where it's so the, the church, and I say that loosely because it's the religious institution, is confused. They don't know who he is, they don't know who they are. But have you seen how far we've come? As the human race. Have you seen how far we've come just in our Western culture? I was telling Gilda and Norma the other night, I broke down just thinking that somehow, someway in America, we've gotten to a place where now it is acceptable to kill babies once they're born. These are laws that are being passed. I mean, we've already been killing them in the, in the womb. But now it's okay for the doctor and the mother to be in agreement to kill the child once it's out of the womb. I mean, we're already cursed because we're killing it in the womb. Could you understand? Do you understand what is coming The wrath of God, the judgment of God, 
if you see what's going on, and I've been warning you because the Bible warns us, but I've been telling you, my God, if you don't see what's happening, you better wake up. I mean, the devil's not hiding anymore. He is bold in your face. This is my plan. Plan to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I mean, for God's sakes, the leaked videos of the Disney executives that came out this week and their plan to promote an agenda to destroy the innocence of your children, they don't care. When you understand it's not the people that's doing it, it's what is behind it. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air and in the darkness. So what are you doing about that daily? What are you doing about that as a Christian? If you're calling yourself a Christian, are you engaged in your relationship with the Lord and then within community to be able to stand, to be able to function, to be able to be equipped for the days that are ahead, because I keep telling us the way we've done church can't be done any longer. You know, I posted today about what's happening in Turkey and how they're arresting pastors, they're disbanding churches. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's horrible what's going on over there. When they once were accepted because of what they brought to the community, the value that Christian brought to the community... They were left alone. But nothing's changed. They still bring value. The thing is, the hatred for God, the rebellion towards his throne is growing. It's growing. It's growing. And now when Christians once had an opportunity, now things are closing over there. And so we will continue to see it throughout the earth. But the church doesn't grow weary The church doesn't give up. The church multiplies. The church multiplies. Because she knows, she knows whom she belongs to. God is for her. He's not against her. And so we better look unto Christ, the hope of glory. We better recognize day in and day out. The opportunities that we have to minister to our loved ones, to our co-workers, while we're out in the community. You ought to be sharing your faith. You ought to be offering hope. And if you're not, then what are you doing? I keep telling us over the past few months, if you're not, it's not because you're forced to, but you cannot, You wouldn't want to contain the hope that you have. You want to share it. Like when you truly recognize what you have received, not because, because you're good, not because anything of you, but all because of him, you can't help but share. I mean, as we've opened up the book of Acts, and as we're studying the book of Acts, are you seeing how the church is birthed? Are you understanding how the church and how the community of believers are to live? That's why community is what we are focusing on this year. Because it is vital. It is vital that you all are out there sharing your faith. And if you're not sharing your faith, then something is off. 
Something's off. When is the last time you shared with someone truth? Truth. I mean, you have to ask yourself, are you truly a Christian? The hour in which we're living, people are dying and going to hell. And if you're calling yourself a Christian and you're part of the community and you've been engrafted into the family of God, what on earth? Because do you see that anywhere in here where they kept it to themselves? You are empowered with the Holy Spirit. You are prompted by the Holy Spirit. And you ought to be engaging daily with the Holy Spirit. You ought to be going forth and declaring the goodness of God. You ought to be being discipled. You ought to be growing. You ought to be connecting. You ought to be living it out. Because when you share it, your lifestyle backs it. And I told you a lot of people, I believe a lot, the reason why a lot of people don't share it is because they know they're not living it. How are you going to uphold something at work? How are you going to uphold something in your home? How are you going to uphold something within the community? How are you going to uphold what you really don't believe? It's just a Sunday morning or whenever it feels convenient for you to say you're a Christian. We've got to wake up. I mean, we, we really, it, it, it's, not even, it's not even funny anymore. I mean, it's an all-out war. All-out war. But are you showing up? Are you showing up? Are you dressed for battle? Do you know what it means to put on the armor of God? Do you know what it means to, to use the sword? Do you know what it means that your hope is in the Lord and it's not in your circumstances? Do you know what it means that, that we're wrestling not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities and the air and the darkness? Do you know what it means to know that you have full access to the kingdom of God? Do you know what it means that you are an ambassador? That you are to reflect his image? That you're to be his hands, your feet. You know, I, 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 I posted it, but I emailed it out to everyone last night. The letter or the email from Lorena. She's a complete stranger who's going through a very difficult time. And it took her some time to process, to even just respond into thanking us. And how much that blessed her and meant to her. Complete strangers that would gather and collect and send her some money to help her along in the season that she's in. And that's truly awakened something within her, not for us, but for God. And she says that. And she knows that it was God. You see, this is what we do, whether it's for her or anyone else. Like, we're just going forth to share the good news. Like, we're no longer, if you're truly a Christian, no longer just dust, going back to dust. No, your soul has been awakened. You are going to enter into eternity 
with your creator. That's why I love Romans 5.1. Now, therefore, you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Are you at peace with God, you all? If you died right now and you stood in his presence, are you at peace with him? Because you ought to be living each and every single day. Again, knowing who he is and knowing your identity and the value of that relationship and the value of community. Because again, you're not going to find it in all these other communities out there. They're broken. They're basing their interest on temporal things. Towards the Christian community, we're not living. We're, we're dying. We're, we're denying ourselves. We're not finding a, a, a satisfaction from the created. We're not feasting off the filth. We're recognizing. Wait a minute. And that's what I'm telling you. Church, as it's been done, can't continue. It can't. Because again, just in our culture alone, I'm not even going to touch the other nations, but just within our culture alone, look how far we've come in just a very short time. Again, abortions have already always happened. (laughs) And they're horrendous. And the judgment of God is upon our nation because of it. But now when we think that there's laws being passed, where they are actually killing the babies out of the womb. Oh God, the greater judgment that's coming. When you see what's happening to our youth today, they are so confused in and and their sexual identity and how they are, they, they're created and how it's being promoted. When you see the, the level of um, critical race theory, when you see all of this strife and division going amongst our land. Like, where are you at as the church? Where are you at as a believer? Like I told you, the devil is not hiding anymore. He's bold in your face. He's telling us, I'm killing, I'm stealing, and I'm destroying. And you're not stopping me. I mean, executives are mocking us. They're they're mocking the church. Disney executives was exposed this week in sharing their plan to destroy your children. This is ridiculous. And it's just not them. Start looking at what's happening all around. And then ask yourself, what do you believe? (laughs) Whom do you believe? I mean, as we're studying Israel, and we're seeing it, and I've told you this, they traded the blessings of God for the curses of the nations. They were blessed by God, and yet, they looked out there, and was like, well, why can't we have that? And all that was cursed. And they're no, we're no different God blesses us, and then we look elsewhere. But the difference between Israel and us, and that's why I love it when the Scripture tells us in the New Testament, why is all this captured for us in the Old? (laughs) To warn us. To warn us. 
The difference between the old and the new is that Jesus has come. He's paid the price. He laid his life down. The final sacrifice. He was resurrected. The power of sin and death are broken. And yet there's a lot of us who still live as if we're still captive by it. And that's not how it should be. You are a freed person. And I can't encourage you enough to know the freedom that you have in Christ. To know what it means to be free. To not settle. To remain in bondage. In your thoughts. And your desires. To stop hiding in darkness. But come into the light. Be the person and the people of light. Because this is the community in which we are. Did you remember? Do you remember from last week in the book of Acts? Like when they came, they they came into prayer. When they were told what they had to experience, they responded through prayer. They asked for boldness. Like we're going to see as we continue through the book of Acts how the church has to be living, not just then, but now. So we got to wake up. God is moving. God is awakening people. There are are divine appointments for you this week to bear witness for Christ, for others. Don't miss it. And as I said before, you're missing them and you're not sharing because you really actually aren't living it. Because again, I believe that's why a lot of people remain silent. But let me tell you something. When you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength, when you recognize all that he has done for you, and not just for you, but for those (laughs) on the face of this earth, his creation, that you can't help but tell the truth, and yet you're going to be hated. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be persecuted. You know, like... It's not something people sign up for in and of their own selves, thinking in a temporal way. You don't follow Christ with a temporal mind because it doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? Willing, knowing that I'm going, I, there's the potential to lose everything. Like in your temporal mind, that doesn't make sense. You wouldn't do that. But when you are spirit filled, when you're reborn, like you know what you've already received. No one and no one can take it from you. Well, they may harm your physical body, but they cannot touch your soul. And that's why our brothers and sisters overseas, they know this. They've been awakened to truth. They are not living with a temporal mindset. They don't have a temporal Christianity. That's why we have to wake up in the West. We've done a good job raising apostates, people who fall away from the faith. My heart breaks of this young man that I've been following for years. And him and I have been in contact off, on and off through the years. But now to see where he's at, my heart breaks. He was once such one, he was one who promoted and just loved God. And God was using it in a mighty way. And now, I don't know where he's at. And so Christians are... Like, trying to hold him accountable, going like, what are you doing? And so he did this long post 
about Christian hate. And the reality is that he's not being hated, he's actually being loved. And then it got me thinking about all the other stuff that I see when Christians stand up for truth. You know, we're told we're, we're told we're the evil ones. We're told that we're the judgmental ones. We're told this and we're told that. But the reality is, no. The reality is, is we love people enough to share the truth. Especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. Like, we love you enough to love you and say, listen, what are you doing? If you're not claiming Christ, then I've always said, go live how you want. But there's so much confusion going on in the church because you see someone who calls himself a Christian living this way, living that way, doing this, doing that, da 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 and it doesn't seem like anything's happening to them, so why do I have to live holy? And so we start giving in. And before you know it, we're over there. And somehow we think that we're safe. Somehow we think that, oh, it's okay. And have we forgotten that the wrath of God is stored up and it's going to be unleashed one day? Like you were called not to be a stumbling block. Like think about that. If you're calling yourself a Christian, the Bible tells us, no, no, no. Don't be a stumbling block. Think about that. Like, you're going to have to answer for how you dragged his name and his blood and made it so common that it became nothing. But listen, it is his blood that redeems. It's his name that is so powerful. You know? Like, you've been awakened. To truth. You've been awakened to life. You've been awakened to hope. And so I'm telling you, if there's ever a day or a generation that is now to come for the church to be who she is, it's now. Because darkness is increasing. And it's about time that we stand up and say, okay, listen. The darkness isn't going away. That's why I keep saying we can't keep doing what we've been doing. No, we just need to recognize the hour in which we're in for God's mercy to extend us some days (laughs) to be about his business, to share truth with others. To start taking the authority in which he has given us as his believers, as his people on this earth and begin to go forth out in our communities and in our homes and in our workplaces and start being the light. Not backing down. I was thinking the other day when I had to sit there and kind of question, am I going to respond to my employer of what they are trying to indoctrinate people in, knowing good and well if I hit send, that could cost me my job. And I work for a ministry. So when I hit send, I said, okay, Lord. My hope is not in this ministry. My hope is not having the material things that I have. God, my hope is in you. So if it is time for me to lose everything for you, then God, I trust you. 
Like you're going to have to start making some difficult decisions. Rather, it's people you hang around with. Rather, it's family members. Rather, it's your job. Rather, it's what you're, it, what you're being entertained by. But you're going to have to start making some difficult decisions and say, Jesus first. <laughs> Above all, Jesus first. Above all, Jesus first. Not because man says, <laughs> but because this is God's word, you all. From the beginning to the end, he's looking for people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. This is the good news, you all. This isn't oppressive news. This is good news. Now, it's oppressive to those who run and remain enslaved. Because Jesus himself said, like, consider the cost before you come. He understands that nature. They have a right to live however they want. And we have a right as the church to live for Christ. Because we're the community. We're the family of God here on this earth for the time that we are. Community. Go to Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Just some scriptures to encourage you today on community. But I'm asking you all, please, you know, take the time to sit in prayer. To get discipled. To grow in your faith, the hour is upon us to live a new life in Christ, to know who you are. And if you're having trouble with that, then connect with me. Connect with someone that you that will disciple you into truth. Not coddle you, not just, you know, oh, no, no, but truth, you all. It's never easy to hear, but once applied, the freedom that comes to your life. There's a whole new way of living. So Colossians 3, 1 through 17, this is how Christians ought to be living because, again, we've been born again of a new nature. We're learning to to deny ourselves. We're learning to, to turn from who we were and to become all that God has for us. That's why I love in the Word of God when it says, some of you were once. You know, he gives us a list. Homosexuals, drunkards, thieves, yada, yada, yada. He lists it all. And he's talking to the church, but he says, but some of you were once, but you've been washed clean. Like we all have a past. We all have a darkness. We all lived in sin and in complete rebellion. So we're not shocked by people's testimonies or what people are coming out of. No, we're going to graciously walk with people. But we're going to uphold truth with people so that they can truly live. Because again, we're new creation. So listen to Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since you have been raised, who? You, me, to new life with who? Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Again, these can't just be words you hear. These have to be words you apply So when you're reading scripture, what are you doing with it? What does that mean to you daily? How are you setting your sights on the realities of heaven? But we're supposed to, because that's where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Isn't that interesting? Because we understand in Galatians 2 that the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other inside you. That war will continue until you take your last breath. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. That's why we are given what we need to overcome the flesh. To not have to cave in to those desires. To not let thoughts just run amok that are contrary to his truth. Because the Bible tells us to take every thought captive and bring them and underneath the lordship and the authority of Christ. There is a way in which you are called to live as a believer. And if you're not living, then I would say you're not a believer. I mean, this is the reality. There's a lot of people going to church, sitting at church. They're not saved. They're just superstitious. Saved people apply the word. I mean, even in when, when Jesus talks about the parable of the sower and the seed being sown, which is the word, he tells us of the soil of the heart, how, it's, how the enemy comes to, to snatch it out, to choke it. <laughs> But it's the good heart that produces. It's the good soul that produces. So he is your life. It's like when I think about when the day that I finally hit my knees, I fought to hold on to everything I was. But once the reality of who Christ is, it is greater than what you're fighting for and what you're wrestling to hold on to that is just fading away. And so when the reality hits you that I, it's Christ and no other, it's Christ who loves me, it is Christ who died for me, it is Christ that salvation is found in. I can't fix myself. I can't make myself any better. No, it's all Christ. So I need to learn how to put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within me have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. I don't beat yourself up when the flesh is screaming at you, when the desires are overtaken, or when that old nature creeps up and creeps out. No, when you recognize that, you remind yourself, oh no, you're dead. <laughs> I've nailed you to his cross. You gotta start talking, y'all. You ought to gotta you gotta start living this out. I mean, listen to what the word of God is saying. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. He's talking to the church. These are the standards. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator. How are you renewed? By learning of him who has called you 
out from the dust mentality. (laughs) Dust you are, dust you're returning to. But when when you live beyond the dust mentality, the temporal mentality, you recognize, oh, well, wait a minute. Because of Christ, I have worth. So the more I learn of him, the more that I will be renewed. And listen, it goes one more step further. So put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and what? Become like him. Not become him, <laughs> but become like him. See, there should be a change that's taking place, a transformation that is happening in your life. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And the division that's going on in the church today because of CRT, this critical race theory, when you see the division that's taking place and you see the foothold that the enemy has, by God, the church better wake up and slam that door shut. Because it doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your position in society. What matters is Christ. Christ is all that matters. We are one. He lives in us. We are a new creation. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is community, you all. This is who we are. This is how we come together to encourage each other, to edify each other, to build each other up, to grow, to apply truth, not just hear it, What does it mean to live it? To prepare for his return. Like he can come at any moment. Our lamps should be filled. What is he going to find in your life? Is he going to find you faithful? Because he ought to. Not perfect, but faithful. Growing and maturing. What are you doing with what he has given you? You ought not to be hiding it. It ought to be multiplying. Let's go to Colossians chapter, I mean, sorry, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verse 2 and 3. 
Again, these scriptures here to encourage you about community. So share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. And how important it is that we recognize what scripture is saying. We ought to be people who are giving and giving freely. We ought not to be stingy with our time, with our talents, and with our money. We are to be giving, not being crazy, not, you know, we're not not to be good stewards, but boy, you ought to be stewarding all that's been entrusted to you. You ought to be giving, you ought to be serving, you ought to be, you ought to be sowing into the kingdom. You have opportunities here each month to sow into lives, rather they may be individual people who need help, or rather it's ministries. Maybe they're local, maybe they're around the world. But you should be determined in your heart that you should be sowing. The same with how can I come and serve when we come collectively as a community? How can I serve on Sundays? I mean, these are the ways you should be thinking and preparing your heart. And how can I serve people that are unloving? How can I make sure that I'm humbling myself and I'm not thinking too highly of myself, but that I'm remembering that as a Christian, that I'm becoming Christ-like. Not becoming Christ, but becoming Christ-like. That's why you must get to know him. Because that's how you're transformed. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And that healing is just not a physical healing. That's a wholeness. That's a healing. So how are you doing with confessing your sins? To one another. I mean, ultimately, first you do it to God. And then you do it amongst the community. Because we've got nothing to hide. We have nothing to hide. And people who hide, who, who, li- who live lives hiding, something's wrong because you ought not to be hiding. Why, will you, why are you still entertaining darkness? Drag it out into the light. That's what the Bible says. Expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. You're not going to put shame on me. No, if you're dealing with stuff, if you got, you don't have to pretend to be holy amongst us. You got things going on that ought not to be going on. You ought to be running to the light, first to God and then to the community, because you're not going to be rejected. You're going to be loved. You're going to hear truth. You're going to be prayed for. You're going to be healed. But if you're just hiding, if you're just existing, if you're just going through the motions of Christianity, then it's nothing really to yourself. It's just a form of religion that denies his power. It's different. It's different if you come and you say, this is who I am now. 
I'm living totally against the, 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 the standards of Christ, and you have to accept me. Oh, no. See, that's different. You're not humbling yourself. You're not confessing. You're just stating who, who and what now you're doing. And if that's what you want to do, that's who you are. We love you enough to put you out. Go run amok. Go live however you want. Go get the fullness of it because you have every right and we love you enough. But we love Christ more. (laughs) And by loving Christ more, no, no, no. You're more than happy to stay among us, but you're not going to call yourself a Christian because if you keep calling yourself a Christian, you got to go. Because then you're disrupting who Christ is among us. Do you see the difference? So you come confessing, humbling yourself, because you know within the community you're loved, because ultimately before you came to the community, you went to Christ. And ultimately when you go to Christ, He's quick to forgive and to love and to heal. Because you've humbled yourself. And there's something very humbling to come to your community of people and, and confess your sins to one another and to be prayed for and to be healed, you all. See, this is living in community. It's just not showing up and then going right back out, living however you want. No, there is a way in which we are called to live. And this is who we are now. Heidelberg Catechism. Again, I've held this up to you all since we've started this year, and I wanted to share with you now this Lord's Day 8, we're still in part 2 of deliverance, and I can't challenge you all enough. I don't know what you do in your spare time. I do hope you have a devotional time. I do hope you're growing. I do hope that you're connecting with others and you're opening up the Word and you're chewing on the Word together and you're discussing it. If you don't have that in your life, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You've got to really be honest about an, an assessment about your Christian walk and your Christian life. And again, it's not because it's forced, oh, I have to do this. No, because we just heard. It's through the knowledge of God that you're transformed. And so this is a great tool. This is a great teaching. It really grounds your understanding of who he is and who you are. And you can share your faith. And when you're sharing your faith, you're not sharing it in the angry way. (laughs) You don't have to go out and hit people over the head with the Bible. You just live your life, and when the door opens for you to share, you share. You sow the seed and you water the seed. Don't take upon the pressure of trying to harvest it, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit does that. But could you just imagine going forth each day, getting up, recognizing the value that, that Christ has placed upon you and within you, that you're connected to your Creator, that you're, you're living a new life now, that you're no longer enslaved or entangled to the old. And if you are, you're still growing and maturing through it. But it doesn't have to continue to define you. <laughs> but as you can move forward 
And then you can share your faith. Are you equipped to defend the faith? Because, again, this generation is spinning out of control. I mean, I don't know if you're seeing it, what's happening, but you can't help but see it on social media, on television, just out in the culture while you're out there. But you should be equipped to defend your faith. Why do you believe what you believe? If I pointed out you right now and told you to give me a statement of why you believe, what you believe, how would you defend your faith? Because I could go toe-to-toe with you like I used to before I became a Christian with people. How are you defending your faith? How do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know God is God? Jesus is real. He is alive. This isn't just another man-made religion. But this is truth. Like, think about that. There's no way men or a council of men could have put this together perfectly. There's no way. This is God. This is the creator of all things. It's his living word. You couldn't create something like this of the span of time that all of these events took place. Like we're talking about the living God and he desires us to be equipped to do his purpose. Because we're behind enemy lines. We're behind enemy lines. And the enemy is seeking to devour. And like I told you earlier, he's not hiding anymore. Years ago, things were done in the darkness. Oh, no, 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 not now. And the Bible tells us, oh, this is the days that are coming. Like he's boldly in our face. Are you trembling? Because you ought not to be. You ought to be standing. Because when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says that God raises up a standard against him. And that's righteousness. You ought to be a teacher of righteousness. You ought to be an instrument of righteousness. So you have to know how to effectively share your faith, to live your faith. And this is a great tool. So, still in part two, deliverance, the Lord's Day 8. Question 24. And I would encourage you, I've shared the link with you. If you need the link again, get it. If you want to spend some time one-on-one with me to kind of start walking through this or just asking questions, you should be doing that because this is, this is amazing. So we talked last day, last time about these articles of faith, these statements in which we believe. And so 24, how are these articles divided? And so the answer is into three parts. God the Father and our creation. God the Son and our deliverance, and God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Question 25. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the question. And our answer. Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. And there's scriptures there. The answer to these questions, the scriptures are given to you to go and read it to equip yourself with understanding and knowledge. You don't have to be ignorant. 
about the things of God. He has made it clear on who he is, what his purpose is for, and how he's equipped his people to live. And again, the new covenant, the church, we're not like Israel. God knew Israel would not follow. Ultimately, he knew the Messiah would come forth from that nation. But he was coming for all nations. He was coming to to redeem a people that will belong to God. Now we're waiting for his return. So ultimately, those who are with him will be for eternity in his glory, you all. And those who are not with him are still in rebellion towards him. And they will spend an eternity in hell, in a place of torment. Not because God is bad, not because God is just. He's gave, he's, he has given everyone who has been born the opportunity to know him, to love him. He's revealed to them how much he loves them, but they deny him. That's their choice. So it's not that, oh, what a bad God, what a bad judgmental God. How can God be so wicked and people throw their fist up? Because this is the world in which you were created to go forth and to bear light. Truth to. I mean, think about that. I've tried to encourage you all. You're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. And no matter where you came from before Christ, God wants to turn all that around for his good. Because you are to be a trophy of grace. You are to be those who are looking at others still in captivity and say, there is a way out and his name is Jesus. You ought to be that voice in the wilderness crying out to others to repent, to turn to God, to be healed. This is good news, you all. And so again, the Heidelberg Catechism, it is just a teaching that the church was given way back many years ago to equip them to be able to defend the faith and what the church community believes in. Let's take time now for communion. And my system's not working, so the song that I had set for communion, I just realized I can't play. So I'll probably play it at the end with the closing song. So, we'll make do. Norma, would you come? And pass out the elements. And while she's passing them out, hold them before you take them. And we'll take them together. And we do this because we're instructed to in remembrance of him. There is a day that we are going to be united with our Savior. And oh, what a day that would be. So before we take these elements, I want you to kind of think through your week. Let's let's not take them to take them. But really reflect on Christ. And if there's sin, there's active sin in your life, and and you feel the Holy Spirit leading you (laughs) because of His loving kindness to repentance, then take a moment and repent. Again, we don't want to, the Bible warns us, we, we, ought, we ought not just take communion just to take it and let it be, you know, just another thing that we do. Because then you can actually bring curse upon you. I mean, do you understand that that's how serious about taking communion is? 
And so again, we just don't do it just to go through the motions, but that we recognize, God, this is your body. This represents your body. This represents your blood. And God, you did this for me. Like, think about that. And especially as we're coming upon Easter. Fully man, yet fully God. And he came to redeem you. There's no greater love, you all. There's no greater love. And this is what people are craving for out there. And yet they're trying to find it in the created. But the creator stepped in. And said, I love you. Like, I love you. And I know the very essence of of your rebellion towards me. But I'm going to make a way for you to be redeemed and returned back to me. That's beautiful, y'all. No other religion, no other religion out there offers that. Every other religion out there in this world is forcing people to reach their God or their level. Christianity is the only religion where God steps down to us and says, I've got you. I've got you. Just believe. Just love me as I love you. Think about that. Gilda, would you pray over the bread? Father, we just thank you for the gift of your son. Jesus, we thank you that you were pierced for our transgressions, for my transgressions, oh God. Father, I just thank you. you pray over the cup. Father, we hold this cup in our hands and we know that it is a symbol of Jesus' blood. You gave your son to us. He was fully man because there had to be a blood payment for sin. You do not allow sin into heaven and we would not be able to spend eternity with you without the shedding of his blood. So, Jesus, we thank you and we honor you. May we not take for granted, may we not shame the sacrifice that you made. This we do in your remembrance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Take the cup. And First Kings. Man, I hope you're excited. <laughs> I am. 
Alright. We open up 1 Kings. We're heading to chapter 2. We're going to read through chapter 2 through chapter 3, verse 3. But 1 Kings. <clears throat> we talked last week about, you know, the, what we're going to see through um, this book. And the purpose to contrast the lives of godly and ungodly kings throughout the history of Israel and Judah and to demonstrate the consequences of idolatry and wickedness. So some of the themes we're going to hear as we're reading through and studying is idolatry, the temple, good and bad kings, the rise of the prophet movement, sin, and its consequences. Listen, this is an exciting time. (laughs) To really understand, to open up the Word of God and to study it and and fully grasp what God is revealing to us through this. This is all leading to Jesus. The Bible tells us we understand that the Old Testament, all of it is pointing to Jesus, you all. Because ultimately, God made a covenant with David that there would be one that would sit on his throne for eternity. And we're going to see even the opening up of of chapter 2 that David now is going to speak to Solomon and remind Solomon what we've heard time and time and time again as a transition of power has taken place to remain faithful to God. To remain faithful to God. And we're not going to see a perfect king throughout the history of Israel. And again, this isn't just a story someone wrote. These are actual historical events, you all. That's captured to point us to Jesus. These kings, as we're going to read through 1st and 2nd Kings, some of them were righteous kings. Did they have flaws? Yes. Because they're not perfect. And some of them are wicked. And as I've told you, the who are you following is important. And who we have as leaders are important. Because a righteous leader, not a perfect leader, but a righteous leader, the nation will be blessed. A wicked leader, the nation will be led to destruction. We see it all through history. That's why it's vital as believers that we are part of of, of our government, that we're voting in a way that's honoring God. You know, it's vital. And I've heard Christians say before, oh, but you shouldn't talk about politics in the church. Well, where else are you going to talk about it? Because Christians ought to know how they should vote. And they should be part of it. Christians who don't vote, there's something wrong. Because why would you not want your voice to be heard? Everyone has a reason. I don't want to get involved. Oh, it doesn't make it. No, it does. You can't remain ignorant. You can't just be on the sidelines and be like, oh, you are a Christian. You ought to be voting. You ought to be doing what you are allowed to do to make a difference. 
Well, every man's got a flaws, yes. But if you look at what they stand for, do they stand for righteousness at least? You're not looking for a perfect leader. But you're looking for a leader who will at least uphold righteousness. And so it is in other areas of your life. Who have you given the right to lead you? To speak into your life. To be a mentor. Because if they're wicked, they're only going to lead you to destruction. But if they're righteous, they'll lead you on the path of life to truth, to Christ. The Israel, the nation of Israel. King David has been their king, but he's dying. And now the kingdom's going to be turned over to Solomon. And what we're going to see as we're reading here is at the point when King David is basically setting up Solomon to succeed, to remind him of who God is, how he's to lead, but also how he needs to remove people. And some of the commentaries, I don't know how you study, but when you're studying different commentaries on Scripture, a lot of different commentaries, some are thinking that when David is is sharing, as you're going to hear, I'm going to get this out before we start reading, And he's telling him, he's telling Solomon about these men, like get rid of them, kill them. Because David understood that they all along, yet though David have kept them close, especially Joab, David's military leader, like David's not ignorant. David has recognized that Joab is a problem and that Solomon needs to protect his throne from Joab. And so we're going to see how Solomon, this new king, the king purposed by God, is going to now take these instructions that he's heard. But yet we're going to see at the end of our reading today, there's going to be two things that stand out to you that shows you that yet though God has selected Solomon for such a time as this, to accomplish what God is purposing. Solomon yet though is going to re, it's going to be revealed to us that his character isn't really about God. And the same word for love that we're going to see that it says that Solomon loved God is the same word in the Hebrew where it says how Solomon loved his wife. And it's more not out of a devotion to God. But it's a very, like, it's whatever. It's a love that really just means nothing. Here today, gone tomorrow. There's truly not a devotion to God or to all of these wives he will eventually have. And that becomes his downfall. So, 2 Kings, I mean, 1 Kings chapter 2. At the time of David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage, 
and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all of his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And there is something else. You know what Joab, son of Zerah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Be kind to the sons of Arzelia, of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shimei, son of Girah, the man from Baharin and Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him, but that the oath, but that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Then David died. <laughs> and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. One day, Adonijah, remember the brother, who in the last chapter, when he knew that his father was getting ill, I mean, was ill and on his way to death, he took the throne. (laughs) And then when David heard what was going on, David appointed Solomon. And then Adonijah ran to the temple, clinging to the, the altar and saying, ah, you know, don't kill me, basically. And so Solomon allowed him to go in peace. Well, one day Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, came to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Have you come with peaceful intentions, she asked him. Yes, he said, I come in peace. In fact, I have a favor to ask of you. What is it, she asked. He replied, as you know, the kingdom was rightfully mine. Now listen to this. All Israel wanted me to be the next king, but the tables were turned, and the kingdom went to my brother instead, for that is the way the Lord wanted it. So now I have just one favor to ask of you. Please don't turn me down. What is it, she asked. He replied, speak to King Solomon on my behalf, (coughs) for I I know he will do anything you request. Ask him to let me marry Abishag, the girl from Shumanim. All right, Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Adonijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her, and he bowed down before her. When he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother, and she sat at his right hand. 
I have one small request to make of you, she said. I hope you won't turn me down. What is it, my mother? He asked. You know I won't refuse you. Then let your brother Adonijah marry Abishag, the girl from Shunem, she replied. How can you possibly ask me to give Abishag to Adonijah? King Solomon demanded. You might as well ask me to give him the kingdom. You know that he is my older brother and that he has Abathar the priest and Joab son of Zerirah on his side. Then King Solomon made a vow before the Lord. May God strike me and even kill me if Adonijah has not sealed his fate with this request. The Lord has confirmed me and placed me on the throne of my father. David has established my dynasty as he promised. So as surely as the Lord lives, Adonijah will die this very day. So, so King Solomon ordered Benia, son of Jehodiah, to execute him, and Adonijah was put to death. Now, the reason, so you, so you understand what's happening here. This servant girl, remember we met her last chapter. She was the one that they brought in to kind of keep David warm. David had no sexual relationships with her, but she was known as one of his concubines. And if Adonijah received her as his, as, as his wife, then basically to Israel, that would be like, well, he deserves the throne. And so Solomon knew exactly what was going on here. He was looking to take the throne. And I'm sure if he was looking to take the throne, as we were talking on Wednesday night, he had some advisors to try to, again, Get the throne from Solomon, which I'm sure was, it's already mentioned, Joab and the other guy, the other priest. And so there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Verse 26, the king said to Abathar, the priest, go back to your home in Anathah. You deserve to die, but I will not kill you now because you carried the ark of the sovereign Lord for David, my father, and you shared all his hardships. So Solomon deposed, <coughs> deposed Abathar from his position as priest of the Lord, thereby fulfilling the prophecy the Lord had given at Shiloh concerning the descendants of Eli. Joab had not joined Absalom earlier, I'm sorry, Joab had not joined Absalom's earlier rebellion, but he had joined Adonijah's rebellion. So when Joab heard about Adonijah's death, he ran to the sacred tent of the Lord and grabbed on to the horns of the altar. When this was reported to the king Solomon, he sent Benia, son of Jehodiah, to execute him. Benia went to the sacred tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king orders you to come out. But Joab answered, No, I will die here. So Benia returned to the king and told him what Joab had said. Do as he said, the king replied. Kill him there beside the altar and bury him. This will remove the guilt of Joab's senseless murders from me and from my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the murders of the two men who were more righteous and better than he. For my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. 
May their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever. And may the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne. So Benias, son of Jehoiada, returned to the sacred tent and killed Joab, and he was buried at his home in the wilderness. Then the king appointed Benias to the command to command the army in place of Joab, and he installed Zadok, the priest, to take the place of Abathar. The king then sent for Shimei and told him, Build a house here in Jerusalem and live here, but don't step outside of the city to go anywhere else. On the day you so much as cross the Kidron Valley, you will surely die, and your blood will be on your own head. Then Shimei replied, Your sentence is fair. I will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years later, two of Shimei's slaves ran away to King Ashker, son of Makkah of Gath. When Shimei learned where they were, he sat, saddled his donkey and went to Gath to search for them. When he found them, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Solomon heard that Shimei had left Jerusalem and had gone to Gath and returned. So the king sent for Shimei and demanded, Didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you not to go anywhere else, or you would surely die? And you replied, The sentence is fair. I would do as you say. Then why haven't you kept your oath to the Lord and obeyed my command? The king also said to Shimei, You certainly remember all the wicked things you did to my father David. May the Lord now bring that evil on your head. But may I, King Solomon, receive the Lord's blessing, and may one of David's descendants always sit on this throne in the presence of the Lord. Then at the king's commands, Benai, son of Jehoiada, took Shimei outside and killed him. So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. So these characters, these players behind the scenes trying to take the throne ultimately from Solomon are out of the way now. Solomon, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finally, I'm sorry, until he could finish building the palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. <coughs> At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed, listen to this, their offerings at local places of worship for temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the kings went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on with the four shipment. So now Solomon is marrying who he ought not to be marrying, and he's worshiping in places he ought not to be worshiping. Yep. And we're going to see, because of these actions, the spiraling down of Solomon's reign, but yet also we're going to see the other side of his reign, where he asked the Lord for wisdom. He could ask the Lord for anything, but he did ask for wisdom, and the Lord granted him wisdom. And he was a very wise king, and he'll become renowned. Everyone knows about King Solomon. And so I just want to encourage you. What encouragement can you take away from the reading of this? <laughs> Trust in God's plan. His purpose. He has something far greater 
than anything that you could possibly conceive. He knows what he has already set forth, and it will come to pass because he is sovereign. I also would encourage you just to know the people who are in your lives. Not everyone is for you. Everyone's got an agenda. It doesn't mean you have to live in a way that you're, you know, can't trust. You ought to trust people. But you also ought to know those who are in your life that are not there to build you up, but ultimately to tear you down. And so you need to have them removed. We're not going out and killing people, but we ought to remove people from our lives because their plan for you is not for good. And so you just have to remember, again, God is faithful, God is just, and God is good. And so be encouraged. And as you're, again, as we're studying through the book of Kings, let it be also a, a reminder that ultimately there will be one who would come and sit on the throne forever. And that is Jesus, you all. That is Jesus. So this is yet hope again. We're not looking for man to be our deliverer. <laughs> no, God is ultimately our deliverer. Go to Acts chapter no, chapter 5 is where we're heading. Acts chapter 5. But there was a certain man named Ananias, Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Now remember where we left off last week. The community of the believer is formed. They're selling things as, the, as it's needed for needs among the Christian community. They're not being forced to sell things. No one's demanding them to do it. They are willingly giving as the needs are arising. So, Ananias and Sophia sold some property. So he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming... It was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said to Ananias, Why have you let Satan <clears throat> fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell, or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money, listen to this, was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And now we see the enemy at work here, you all. He says, how? Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. This is the key to what we're about to keep reading. This man and his wife, they didn't have to do what they did. But they chose to. Not lie to man, but to lie to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young man got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. 
Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church, and everyone else had, I'm sorry, and everyone else who heard what had happened. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly in the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed were brought to the Lord crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priest and his officials, who, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. I love that. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported. The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where where it would all end. (coughs) Then people arrived with startling news. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went to his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostle replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you kill him by hanging him on the cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, as so is the Holy Spirit, whom is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in the religious law and respected by all people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do of these men, to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thaddeus who pretended to be someone great. About 400 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all of his followers went to various ways. Their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at that time of the census, there was Judas the Galilee, 
of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers were scattered. So my advice is leave leave these men alone. Let them go. And if they are planning on doing things, these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, how beautiful is that, you all? They counted it. Listen to what it says here. They counted it. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And they kept going forth, sharing the message about Jesus, you all. That should encourage us as we're reading this. That God equips us to go forth and to tell others about Jesus. We should be excited to tell others about Jesus. No matter what the opposition is against us, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not doing it in and of our own power. We're not, quote unquote, religious people. No, we are spirit-filled people, people who have been born again of a new nature. We're living differently. We're maturing, we're growing as we're getting to know our God. And as we're getting to know him, we can't help but tell others about him. Oh, y'all should be excited as we're going through the book of Acts and we're seeing how God is moving through ordinary people. There's nothing really special about these people. They just believed and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it is with us. There's really nothing special about us. We're just ordinary people, but people who God has been pleased to reveal himself to, who has awakened us, if you're a Christian, who have been born again to be used in our generation as these believers were used in theirs to go forth and to tell about Jesus. Go to Psalm 125. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord, I love this, surrounds his people, both now and forever. The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, and then the godly might be, I'm sorry, The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. O Lord, do good to those who are good, whose hearts are are in tune with you, but banish those who turn to crooked ways, O Lord. Take them away with those who do evil. May Israel have peace. And as this is being sung and, and chanted over Israel to encourage them to keep in covenant with God, so it is with us of people today. 
that we would be the people of God, that we understand the Lord surrounds us, he keeps us, and that we ought not to be influenced by the wicked ones in the land. So again, I would just encourage you to really give thought to who's encouraging you. How are you living? It ought to be for Jesus. Go to Proverbs. We're ending Proverbs 16, verse 25. Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Think about that. Not everything that is set before you is good for you. So use wisdom, you all. Know your God, follow Jesus, and love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and body. I'm going to close this with two songs of worship. we got time for two. I pray that these words that are being sung over you would be an encouragement to you. And then I'll close this in prayer.